You are listening to a Nerd Room podcast production. We the Nerd. Bunch of nerds. Hey everyone and welcome to Nerd Room. We talk all things Star Wars, Marvel, DC, and beyond. This is episode number 274. We're discussing a Jurassic World retrospective, Loki, and the Flash. I'm one of your host, Tim. And I'm Carlos. And you've got the dynamic duo back at the table this week with a full episode audible. Everything you guys are hearing tonight, we just rewrote in the outline about 25 minutes ago. Originally, <laughs> our man Troy, Troy the boy, Craven the Hunter, was supposed to be on the episode. But unfortunately, last minute, he had to drop out due to work commitments. So Carlos and I pulled the rug out underneath ourselves and the outline that we had constructed which is a really cool outline really great discussion that we're hopefully going to have next week where we're going to be looking at the idea of adaptation film adaptations of some of our favorite franchises so we're going to leave that tease for next week because we really thought it'd be great to have the other guys at the table to deep dive into that but we're going to be continuing our journey through jurassic june given that we had A great episode, a fun episode last week talking about Jurassic Park and the legacy of that franchise, both inside of the film world and for each of us individually. We're going to pick up those threads and run with the revitalization and the opening of the park with Jurassic World, 2015's Jurassic World, and the follow-up in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. And nicely coming with that is some teases from Jurassic World Dominion's director, Colin Trevorrow. He's got some stuff out there, and we've got some information what that film is going to be because we're just under a year away from that debuting on the big screen in June of 2022. So we're going to be revisiting the park once again this week, guys. And we also got to talk about this new Disney Plus show, Loki. We broke it down, episode one, in a great amount of detail with our good friends over at Vigilante1939. You can catch the video and audio for that over on the Nerd Room YouTube channel right now. Here we had to think about that episode, but we're just going to touch, now that we've had a few minutes to digest that film, we're going to touch on our thoughts and some of the opinions coming out of the back end of that. And of course, Andy Muschietti is back at it. We talked last week about that Batman, that yellow oval tease, and he's back at it here with another Flash logo cheese, a revamp of the costume we have seen in the previous DCEU films. And he's going full on just bringing us into this production bring us into what the flash is going to be and it's got me pumps got me excited but guys i i gotta i gotta take a pause here for a second two weeks in a row carlos two weeks in a row you and i are going to be talking about jurassic park jurassic world this is this is my podcasting dream man yeah man it's uh it's hype it's hype it's like this this side love that we share that uh you know, just kind of emerged as we start to build out the Dominion here and your retro collecting blossomed from the turtles to the Ghostbusters and then <laughs> took a Velociraptor-like leap right into the Jurassic Park collecting. So I'm here for it, man. I'm here for it. I'm sure the listeners caught my enthusiasm and love for this franchise with that last episode. So yeah, we can we can talk Jurassic Park as much or as little as you want. Oh, I love it, man. And like you, I am here for it. And speaking about my retro collection, you guys can also go over to the Nerd Room YouTube page and check out my Jurassic Park collection. It's there. It's detailed. 
in a nice short eight minute video you can walk through my entire collection i express again my excitement and my love for the franchise but what's really cool is you get to see some of my 93 pieces my 94 pieces and some of the expansion i've done into some of the more modern stuff so i had a blast with that so please go check that out as well we're expanding our content on youtube and this is our first uh, dip into showing off some of the collections which we will start to see a bit more of over on the nerd room youtube page so man with all that being said i've calmed myself down a bit i've got the, the all that kind of initial build up that penned up podcasting frustration is out there and now we can do it now we can get into my favorite segment each and every week and that is our week's in nerd and man you've got a story i believe you teased a little something out there and you told me on twitter your own producer that i had to wait for this segment so <laughs> i'm here for it let's let's hear what you had to do this past week this weekend nerd you know this weekend nerd i gotta give a shout out to our boy kyle from tumbling saber had a nice package arrive in the mail i'm not going to reveal what that is quite yet because it may or may not be for me and it may or may not be incentive to study a little harder and knock those exams out of the park because uh school is ending next week and that's uh that's what kyle was helping me uh <laughs> put a bow on so just a little teaser there like i said a little incentive to you know maybe put an extra half an hour in of studying here and there but uh it's cool it's cool man and uh kyle you came through brother and uh you'll definitely get a shout out next week when i reveal what that was <laughs> but uh yeah one of the things that happened this weekend was the province and the city started to open up a little bit and i was able to catch two new films so Went to the theater and caught Quiet Place 2 with my one daughter. And then the next day we did as a family uh, in the Heights. But we did that one actually just on pay-per-view at home kind of thing. So it was uh, it was a neat little kind of uh, social experiment for myself to go to the big theater, full audience experience, and then have the premium VOD experience at home kind of thing. And uh I got to tell you right now, I'm not the only person going to the movies this weekend because we actually couldn't go to any of our theaters of choice because the things were sold out. Wow. Like, I could only get seats in the front rows for Quiet Place 2 and nothing for In the Heights. And I eventually had to go over uh, by your place there, uh, West Hills, okay. which is a bit of an older, divier theater mm -hmm. to be able to... <laughs> I live in a uh, dodgy part of town. <laughs> Well, no, you, you got you got the hype with Chinook. You got the hype with Chinook. It, it, you know, when and the the Sunny Theater up north, the the Urine Theater. That's that's the that's the worst one. But uh, yeah, the uh, that was the only place that I could get two seats, and it was kind of cool the way uh, Cineplex, who's our chain, does it. When you go to select your seats, as soon as you pick your two seats, it actually blocks out a circle of seats all around you, so that you have six feet. Okay, away from cool. you in every direction. Yeah, it was kind of neat the way they do that. And I think it was like 25% capacity. So I purposely picked our seats off to one far side of the theater, but there was nobody sitting in front of us, nobody in the row behind us, and for like three or four seats on either side kind of thing. So it was neat. It was neat to be back in the theater. Uh, I think A Quiet Place 2 might have been a poor choice for me to pick as my first <laughs> movie back in the theater because it's like... It, Everybody's just sitting there waiting for a pin to drop. And because the movie itself is so quiet, um, people eating popcorn. And I had a pretty mm. good audience. But, you know, there's going to be those natural things of people eating snacks and the one guy that 
his girlfriend is getting him caught up and you can hear kind of the whispers that she's explaining <laughs> what happened in the first movie kind of thing um, so that he knows what's going on in this one. But it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool to be back there and uh, take in a movie. And I'm glad to see theaters back open and just have that option. And movie itself was phenomenal, like worthy successor to the first one. Nice just tempered build out of the lore and they didn't go too crazy with things, but you could tell they definitely had a little bit more money and expanded the story as to what's going on in the world and where people are at, but still kept it very intimate and family focused. And it was good. It was really good. And then, uh, man, Saturday though, I gotta say, just sitting on my couch, the family, everybody's phones in a bucket and, uh, sound turned up, blinds closed in the Heights was a phenomenal experience. Like, what a movie and, like, just a gift to be able to turn this thing on to the big TV that we have at home kind of thing and soak up this beautiful musical from Lin-Manuel Miranda. And if you haven't seen this movie, I can't recommend it enough kind of thing. If you can see it in a theater, it's probably a fun movie to see in the theater. If you need to watch it at home, it's great there too, like, phenomenal music like great set pieces honestly it's like it's two hours and 20 minutes and that might seem long for a movie I didn't feel it at all it just chugged along and once again you kind of make a bit of an argument for being able to watch it at home Mm because my daughter had this thing going the whole time over our 48 hour rental like at no point in time was that movie not on the tv kind of thing because it just ended and from the beginning play and off you go kind of thing. So it was kind of neat to be able to have that there. And so that was, that was cool too. If I had the choice, quiet place two wasn't on premium VOD. I probably would have inversed that, but at the same time, Mm -hmm. my whole family got to watch in the Heights at home kind of thing. So, yeah. So, So you've juxtaposed both of those experiences and maybe a quiet place Two. let's say it's replaced with an MCU movie or something that affect DC movie. Does the theater experience win out? Uh, no. No. Like, it, it's awesome, and it's cool to be in there and the big screen, big sound and stuff, but you're never going to get a, a movie screen that's as clear as your screen at home. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, that's the biggest one for me is the clarity of the film. And then, like, Black Widow coming out, to be able to, for the price of my wife and I go into the movie, my whole family gets to watch it and we get to watch it into perpetuity uh, as many times as we want kind of thing. So yeah, that's a pretty big selling feature for Mm -hmm. me with that. Like uh, I'm not going to lie. Like having done it back to back, it was kind of, it was kind of a neat little experiment. And like the suicide squad was the one I had kind of earmarked as the big family return to the theater. And we'll go see that on the big screen. But I think that's going to be a at-home one type of thing and just spend the dime there and soak it up as much as we want. Yeah, it's looking at the box office, Quiet Place News is doing really well. So people mm-hmm. in the States are, are going back to the theaters. But I, I do wonder if if that will wane a bit once they get through the first couple big movies in theaters, if we will see people grading back to their home theaters and all that once they've kind of gotten that initial excitement and release out from revisiting the films like Sonny won't Sonny was at Godzilla vs Kong today Mm -hmm. and I don't think he'll ever give up that experience but 
I can tell you right now, I probably fall in a very similar boat to you where I would prefer the home experience, save a few movies here and there where we go see them together, like as a crew. Mm-hmm. That that's But that's built more into seeing with you guys and then going out after. You know what I mean? Like there there's something more there that's driving me. Yeah. And for my wife and I to do a movie date, it's expensive babysitters and all this stuff and we're just not there right with babysitters and all that right yet unless someone there's someone listening out there that maybe wants a, a gig at some point in the future just saying well yeah there's some bonding there's yeah. some bonding this weekend <laughs> so that but was definitely there that's cool man it's it's interesting to see the world opening up and especially this space for us opening up the the theaters the movies are coming back and that seems to be a big push by all the studios is the return to theaters yeah, I'll be curious. Like, I think you kind of touched on something there where there's going to be this initial rush to mm-hmm. just be out and to do things and to get away from what has been normal for the last couple of years. But once the options are in place and once people have scratched those itches, I'll be curious to see mm-hmm. where where things start to fall after that, especially if there's an option, right? Like the day and date option will be a, a game changer for sure. Yeah, and they'll they'll see that represented in Black Widow because, interestingly enough, that is going to be the first major studio film to drop is going to be Black Widow here on July 9th with this day and date with a relatively open domestic audience. Mm -hmm. So you have California, New York, good chunk of Canada. Most of the states is open in some form. So that film doing over $100 in its first weekend will be impressive, I think. And we'll see. Yeah. Well, and they'll make that money up if it's not at the box office. People are watching on Disney Plus. So big time. The the money goes into the same pocket no matter what. So more of it goes into their pocket with Disney Plus. Yeah, I'll be curious to see. And I, I kinda hope the experiment pays off for them because it's just a nice option. Like if I can do Black Widow, Shang Chi and the Eternals at home or maybe like that's what I do with the family and go see it on the big screen with you guys. Mm -hmm. And then like Spider-Man being the one that the family goes out for a big theater night and then see it with you guys as well type of thing. Um, Yeah. That that, that's the one I have marked for my personal return to theaters. Like if I can't get Shang-Chi or Eternals on VOD day and date or within a relatively small window, I might go to something like that by myself maybe with one of you guys, but my, in an ideal world, no way home would be the movie. I would be going back to the theaters for. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that you can actually see everything and be like, what the hell are they doing here? Yeah. Why, why is he here? Why is Toby Maguire here? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, man, I had a, I had an interesting week. It was, it was filled similar to yours with a lot of, of viewing of, of different things. We started sweet tooth, the, the comic book, adaptation that you talked about with great praise a couple of weeks ago. I know you've seen a couple episodes. My wife and I sat down and watched episode one and two. My wife started by saying, eh, do we really have to watch this thing with these baby animals? I'm not, I'm not really digging even just the, the idea and concept of it. We sat down and watched it. She was glued to the screen <laughs> for the first two episodes. <laughs> and it was like 1130 at night on a school night. And she's saying like, can we watch one more? And they're like 50 minute episodes. And I was like, no, we can't. I, I understand. And I appreciate you wanting to watch more, but I can't, I can't do it. I don't want to be falling asleep during this because 
it's fantastically done. Like it's so well done. And I don't have any concept or idea of what the comic book was, but what they lean into in this adaptation is, is beautiful. And it's so well shot and there's the emotional moments. The kid is great in it. Mm -hmm. If you're not watching sweet tooth, got to get in there and watch it. Yeah. They did a perfect job and it's, it's amazing how different it is in the comic books, but fundamentally the same. Like mm -hmm. it's, we'll get into it another time type of thing, but it's a very impressive accomplishment. And yeah, same thing. Like I, I've finished this season mm -hmm. myself and the family is watching it. And I've seen a few of those episodes like three times now. And it's just charming, like yeah, utterly enjoyable. Yeah. It's, it's done some fantastic things. And the, the great thing about it is like we've been talking about with these streaming services, the money went into it. Like that could be on the big screen. Yeah. Yeah. No, they did a fantastic job of it. So yeah, yeah it's nice to see that one catching on with folks. Yeah, for sure. And then I got, I got in this weird Disney plus hole. So we've been talking for weeks about the idea of physical media, streaming services, all this. And I, I got thinking to myself when we're talking about the Disney plus, the star piece of Disney plus up here, that is your adult version of Hulu or what have you. And so I started going through there. I ended up down a weird Jerry Bruckheimer 90s action flick hole where I watched <laughs> The Rock, Con Air, Face Off, Armageddon, and Gone in 60 Seconds. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I can't believe you rattled all those ones off. Well, I'm like, it's funny because we get home from camping, and I'm like at like 11 o'clock at night, like glued to my phone watching these, like some of these movies I've seen a million times. Like, I was telling, I can't remember who I was telling on, on Twitter this week that The Rock was my big teenage flex as my favorite movie of all time. Where I was mm. like, yeah, I'm into this. It's rated R. They say the F word and it's like hardcore. And I thought it was, I still think it's a really good movie, but that era is, it's such a, it's like a Nick Cage, Jerry Bruckheimer, Don Simpson produced type era. It's really, it's kind of a cool space. Yeah. No, I have fond memories of those movies. Like, I don't know that I saw a ton of them in the theater type oh, of thing, no, but I just remember the hype and the advertising on the back of the comic books yeah. and stuff like that for some of those. And those were video store rentals for me, all of them. And then I eventually found them in like the $5 VHS bin as VHSs were being slowly moved out in place of DVDs. It, I, I don't know what it is about those, but like, especially Con Air and the rock, I just have this weird, weird soft spot for both of those movies. You know, and Nick Cage is ridiculous <laughs> in both of them, but he's so good. And then the other thing I did last week, nerd-related, is I sat down with Emmett from over at Let's Go, and I did his YouTube show, Now You Know. It's an interview show, getting to know the origins of Rad Friends, I believe is the tagline. And I have to say, I I've, haven't done a ton of interviews in my life. This one, I not only loved, but I'm super proud of. It, I finished it, and then my wife and I rewatched it right after, because it felt really good, and I wanted to see if it came off that way. And so go over to Let's Go's YouTube page and check that out. We get into some of the, the deep end of my collecting habits, the nerd room in particular, like where it came from, some of the origins of that, what our philosophy is in the nerd room, our collective philosophy. And he's just a great interviewer, and he was rattling off all these questions that were I didn't have any idea what was coming at me, and we just had a ton of fun. And I would, I'd really like you guys to go check it out. So let's go YouTube page. I had a riot with it and I hope you guys can take away a little something from it. And even just an idea of, of what 
our kind of philosophy is on podcasting here in the nerd room. Yeah, no, it was an awesome watch. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. It was, I sat down, I couldn't catch it live, but first thing I did the following morning and yeah, I was grinning the whole time. It was just, just such a joy. You guys seemed like you, you had a good flow together and just the, the respective vibes was perfect. Perfect. So yeah, if you want to know what Tim's all about in this space, <laughs> fire that thing up. Much appreciated, dude. Yeah, please, please go check it out. I had a lot of fun there. And you know, we can't end this weekend or without a, just a little bit of plastic, just a tiny bit. And Amazon started to provide with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier first figure of the Disney Plus wave. I got myself a Bucky here. It arrived on my doorstep this afternoon at lunchtime. And it is my first of what will be a seven wave or seven wave, seven figure wave. And I'm pretty stoked that these are finally starting to ship. I was very concerned that Amazon was going to pull a Mando on us and send us a cancellation <laughs> notice and say, sorry, we can't fulfill this order. It's weird they're coming piecemeal. So I got Bucky and all the other ones say, we'll ship it when we get it. But it's good to know that these figures are out in the wild. They will likely be hitting pegs soon and they're shipping from Amazon. Because I believe you got a, a notification for Wanda, correct? Yeah, but the the... We'll let you know when it shows up kind of thing. Oh. So, <laughs> yeah, it's coming. We'll see. Yeah. I'm not out of the woods yet. I could still get mandoed on this one, but. Oh, fingers we'll crossed. Because I, I got a, I got a wand. I've got the whole wave individually ordered from, from Amazon. And that was when we did the weird backdoor ordering where we had to find it on the U.S. page and transfer over to the Canadian page. And it wasn't labeled. It was just Avengers 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. So needs to say they're coming through. They're charging my my credit card, and they're arriving on my doorstep. So hopefully in the next week or so, we start to see these things coming out in a, in a real way. And even those that didn't pre-order are finding them on the pegs in the stores because they're great figures. I can say – I haven't opened it up yet, but I can say the Bucky face sculpt's pretty good. Odd, and I don't know if this is a Hasbro thing, but he doesn't appear to come with any sort of weapon. So that's interesting because – well, my love of the McFarlane figures mm -hmm. is well documented, but man, it's killing me because um, none of the upcoming figures for characters that have guns, so namely like Bloodsport would be one of the key ones and a couple other ones. Um, the recent Thomas Wayne Flashpoint Batman, none of them come with guns. And I was like, what is this? But I guess with Warner Brothers, they did that as a form of protest uh, to try and raise awareness and uh, try and push for a little more gun gun control down in the States kind of thing. So that was their way of making a statement about it. And I, I think the sentiment's cool. I think it's a bit misguided to stop some guy from in Canada for having a blood sport with his made-up guns that he pulls out of thin air if you've read the comics. But whatever. Um I guess their heart's in the right place. Sometimes it comes off silly. I saw this Diamond Select Red Hood, and he is clearly sculpted to be jumping with a gun <laughs> pointed at somebody, but they've replaced it with this sword, and it looks ridiculous. A, because that character never uses swords, and B, because it's clear as the nose of my face he's supposed to have a gun in his hand. That's hilarious. <laughs> but he doesn't. I'm just opening this up right now, live here. Sorry for the noise. I just want to see if there's something hidden behind him that I can't see. No, doesn't look like no weapon. 
his hand he's got a trigger finger like his hand is is molded <laughs> as if he's got that i'm to be honest with you i'm not it doesn't really bother me one way or another. like you said I, I like the sentiment i don't know if it's going to solve the gun problem in the u.s yeah but maybe it will and that'd be okay if, if it means me giving up <laughs> my guns in some of these action figures i'm okay with that <laughs> yeah and we'll support local business i guess as i try and source out some one-tenth scale yeah. plas- plastic <laughs> weapons for these figures I'll, I'll keep you in mind man i'll i'll make sure that buck has uh something you that he can use that hand for just a little handgun i'm sure i've got one from a a black widow figure or another bucky figure that i've seen in the past because i usually display them with the movie accurate weapons and sometimes they come with just random stuff or at least the original ones then so We'll see. We'll see. I already just go buy an old G.I. Joe figure or something, and I'm sure we'll have a, um, a few weapons, guns, or whatever in it just to, to make the display nice. Yeah, the dollar store will have something. Yeah, for sure. E- e- either that or the Suicide Squad's going to be rocking a whole bunch of Star Wars blasters. Yeah. Once that wave hits, I'll go raid raid my daughter's stash. That's hilarious. A couple <laughs> lightsabers. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah. Why not? Why not? <laughs> Well, speaking of Disney Plus, let's let's touch on Loki, the latest series to debut on Disney Plus inside of the MCU continuity, inside of this ever-growing slate of MCU properties that are landing inside Marvel, I should say, properties inside of the MCU landing on Disney Plus. Now, we talked all about the first episode of Loki on our live stream with Vigilante1939, so go check that out. You can hear us break that down inside of an hour about our original thoughts on what turned out to be a very engaging first episode for this Disney Plus show, a show that a lot of us kind of said, oh, we're kind of done with Loki. We don't really know what they're going to do here. And they've managed in great MCU fashion to engage a very wide population, including the people that were thinking that the Loki story was done. And they've even made it quite emotional. Daddy Bats, our good friend, he had a, he had a moment in there, he said. And that, that goes to show how important maybe this show is going to be and what they're doing inside of these Disney Plus shows actually matters. Now, CEO Bob Chapek did have something to say about Loki in it being the most highly viewed Disney Plus premiere since the inception of the service. Now, Carlos, tell me, does that surprise you that Loki is the the highest viewed show since Disney Plus really kicked off here? Yeah, like I'm surprised that it beat Mando season two, just given the hype that 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 property has around it. So Mando season two for sure, and maybe Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I'm a little surprised mm-hmm. just because that was the thing that we had um, the most prominent hint to at the end of Endgame with the handoff yeah. of the shield. And then also given... The success that was WandaVision, people's hype for MCU stuff was pretty high. So I'm I'm surprised that uh, it did as well as it did, but I'm glad it did because it, it deserves it. I I quite enjoyed it as uh, you can check out the live stream to hear my thoughts on that. But yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I agree with you, though. It, it is It does surprise me. And they didn't seem to put the same sort of campaign effort behind this one that they did with WandaVision, Falcon Winter Soldier. Yes, WandaVision is the first one at the gate. Falcon Winter Soldier almost sells itself, but it was always pegged to be like the biggest and best 
of these mm-hmm. Disney Plus shows that were coming out in 2021. And here we are. And I don't like Falcon Winter Soldier and Loki are close enough that it doesn't have to do with like a huge jump in subscriptions over the last couple of weeks since Falcon Winter Soldier. And you could maybe say that for the first season of Mando, even the second season of Mando, we're six months out from that. And that viewership or subscription keeps going up and maybe you just have more eyeballs pointing at this. But ultimately I think it goes to show how engaging Hiddleston is in this character and, and potentially what this, this show could do given the really good word of mouth and the huge anticipation for, for what we're going to see in the series and even into episode two, which comes out tomorrow, which is awesome. Yeah, no, I'm actually like really looking forward to it. This is probably the most anticipation I've had for uh, an upcoming episode of one of these MCU shows thus far kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm I'm ready for it. Made sure the kid has her alarm all ready to go for tomorrow and she was way ahead of me. So the commitment's there and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hyped, man. I'm curious to see where they take it. And I, I wonder if we'll see like a, a recast of Loki at some point in time over the course of this show. And if they move to having him in the female form and mm-hmm. maybe we have her for season two and into the future for a couple of years or, or what they'll do. I'm, I'm thoroughly engaged with this one and curious to see where it goes. And also, cause I decided to dabble in the theory craft as you'll see in the live stream. And uh, I want to see if that plays out. It was funny you say that because I was going to bring up the speculators Pandora box that Carlos opened over on the live stream. <laughs> he, uh, I was surprised he opened it, but as soon as he opened it, I pushed it open and shoved it in everyone's face. <laughs> so we do have a lot of fun talking about what this show could be and where they could be taking things. And there's already some really interesting theories that were tossed out there on the live stream. So look forward to see what we're going to get this week. And of course we'll touch on this over the next five weeks or so, four weeks uh, up until our big cap off live stream with the vigilante boys, as we've continued to grow this tradition where we, we kick it off and we end it together. I'm having lots of fun with that. So make sure to go check all that out before you get to the next couple episodes of Loki. Now, Bob, I love, I love CEO Bob's here over at Disney. He had a little tease as he was talking about Loki here. Talking about Armor Wars, that's going to be another big show that I believe is set to debut sometime in 2022, which is going to have our man Rhodey, War Machine at the lead, taking on potentially that mantle, maybe carrying the mantle. I don't know until we get to Riri Williams, but he teased that we're going to get our our Iron Man fix from it. We're going to scratch that itch for Iron Man, which got me intrigued as to what this show is going to be about. Is it going to be about the legacy of Tony Stark, the legacy of Iron Man? And where does Riri Williams fit into this? So him teasing that makes me feel that they've got a script in place. Of course, they've got their lead with Don Cheadle and what they could really do with this franchise. It seems that people are chasing after Iron Man a bit. If you felt the need to put that out into the universe, but it definitely wasn't a show that was on my radar three hours ago it is now (laughs) yeah i'm curious to see where they take this one i hope that we don't rely on tony too much as a crutch i haven't heard any rumblings of rdj coming back and doing anything and and he's been busy in the dc space making those sweet tooth episodes Mm -hmm. for you but uh yeah it'll be cool and i like the dynamic of roadie being 
you're kind of Iron Man in holding, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But he's not an inventor, so he can't fill that space that Riri can. So yeah. I'm uh, I'm curious to see where it goes, and uh, and I'm hyped for this one because my kid's been plowing through the Riri like the Ironheart uh, trade paperbacks kind of thing. So it'll be neat to see her experience these things in live action for the first time. So like Miss Marvel. Kate Bishop's Hawkeye and then uh, Ironheart. Mm-hmm. I'm really, really, really excited to see what that looks like kind of thing. Yeah, it's going to be With... really cool to see that character develop because this seems like a, a viable place where they introduce that character before she spins out into her own show, which they've mm-hmm. already announced is happening. And so it, it's going to be, again, another big expansion of a lore based around an original character, kind of like Captain America what they did with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and they're kind of expanding that own contained universe. I hope that Stark, like you're saying, isn't used as a, as a crutch, but used more of a launching point. That's the same way that they did it with Captain America in Falcon and Winter Soldier, is that that is the catalyst, but it's not the focus. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's maintaining, but building out that legacy to being something new and a new mantle, a new bearer of, of that name and of that important legacy is carried out in Sam. And I'm hoping that by the end of armor wars, we get that, that torch pass from Rhodey to, to Riri. Yeah. If we see anybody, I'd actually really like, like scented candles aside. Like I'd actually like to see Gwyneth Paltrow Mm -hmm. come in and uh, (laughs) do pepper pots again. Yep. And I actually wouldn't mind like the Harley kid from Iron Man three popping up. And maybe if he's kind of like the, the Alfred or the Ned leads to Riri's, Mm -hmm superhero i dig that, that. could be a, a neat space for him to come in but that's a bit of a dangling thread and it'd be cool to see a handful of kind of legacy characters take up tony stark's um life's work kind of thing yeah you can so. even have a happy hogan in there maybe if he's not oh, too man, busy in no way home <laughs> yeah he, he's running around with aunt may all over the place <laughs> amazing so yeah that's coming out 2022 but just want to touch on that because they're in this disney plus space and ceo bob is is getting me intrigued get me you know he's always got that marvel on the tip of his tongue and has always got me asking for more also i saw that just briefly that kevin feige made his first appearance in comic books i believe in oh really in x-men 21 hickman and so now i have to go find that because i I need feige's first appearance (laughs) amazing (laughs) I just saw I was just scrolling through something. I was like, whoa, Kevin Feige in comic form? I'm in. <laughs> so I hope it's not one of these hot issues that speculators have gone at and, and bought because I'm going to be gutted if I can't find it. Oh, well, yeah, I got to make a trip to the store so I can I can certainly make the ask for you when I'm there. Please do. I'll, I'll framed. One day I'll get it signed by him. It'll be a whole thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. When he, when he gives you his job puts the ceremonial hat on your head kind of thing. I've worn a hat to work for the last 18 months or whatever it's been, however long we've been in this mess. And my goal is to be able to wear a hat into my office like Feige does. The guy shows up on a red carpet. The guy shows up at like black tie events with the the latest production cap off. I'm into that. (laughs) Yeah, man. Do it. Do it. It's happening. It's happening. I just had a (laughs) meeting with like high up VPs today. Backwards hat on. (laughs) (laughs) it's my call sign now (laughs) all right man before we take our our second trip towards jurassic world 
exiting the park into the world, we got to quickly take a, a just a pit stop over here in DC film universe with The Flash. Now, we detailed last week the reveal of the Yellow Oval. And this week, we've got Flash himself. As I made fun last week, that the first image we get from the Flash set is, of course, Batman. And not, not only just Batman, but THE Batman. <laughs> but this oh, week, yes. we've, we've got a second look at another character that is going to be in this film. It's the title character of The Flash. And he's got a new suit, it looks like. I'm not sure if the logo's brand new or if it's a slight tweak adaptation. But let me know your thoughts on this as to what they're doing with The Flash here. Yeah, I am pretty excited about these little teases, right? And I don't think anything's being done by accident. So we had the Keaton Batman logo with that blood splash on it. And now we got this close-up of the Flash logo. And I I just love kind of the tech look that it has mm -hmm. going on behind it and the bright red. And I'm convinced that the Muschietti's are listening to this show because you you made comment about Michael Keaton or Batman being the character that they're teasing for a Flash movie instantly. They're like, here's a reveal, here's a Flash suit. <laughs> and then what's the other thing that the Nerd Room has said about the Flash is that our man Troy hates that suit. And they've gone and A, they've changed it, and B, they've fully embraced that red. So I love the vibrant kind mm -hmm. of fire truck red that they've gone with with this one and the yellow lightning has me excited so yeah it'll be cool man it'll be cool and i was getting hyped and even just like small stuff like ezra miller out and about in the uk taking selfies with fans and stuff like that and it, it's building and i think the way that they're putting these teases out that we'll get to see uh sasha callie's supergirl logo yes. maybe via yes. this and then get a hint as to who our villain's going to be, perhaps. So, yeah, I've I've been digging what Muschietti's doing. And, uh, it, I, man, I'm hyped about the new stewards of the DC universe. It's cool. Like, these guys are doing cool stuff. And they're kind of in tune with a whole set of fans and a way of doing business that uh, it just feels fresh and exciting and kind of bright and shiny and and I'm here for it. Yeah. And like like we've been saying for the last couple of weeks, this invitation into the production behind the scenes, if you will, something so small. Like this is relatively insignificant, whether it comes out in a leak like Shazam's did and they get in front of it or whether they just introduce it to fandom right away. It provides this level of engagement that I don't think we've seen in a meaningful way from DC in the past. Like we, we were constantly talking about this. The, the discourse online is constant and it's positive. And I think this is what they need. This is something that The Rock does very well, is mm -hmm. that invitation. And this is something that we've seen from Star Wars, is something we've seen from the MCU. And I think it's a great way to get your fan base riled up about this. This movie doesn't come out until 2022. And we're getting these small details and these small controlled reveals, which is ever so important. Because they've taken the narrative away from the speculators and they've taken the narrative away from set photo leaks and all that. And they've put it into their own Instagram feeds, which is a really cool way of doing business. Yeah, absolutely. Man, the proof is in the pudding. Here we are like two weeks in a row and mm -hmm. you're like, hey, let's talk about this Flash thing. Yeah, because it's, 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 it's cool. It's engaging. It 
it's fun. I, now that you say the, the Supergirl reveal, that is definitely has to be the next one. There's speculation out there. Maybe that you're gonna get the Affleck suit or something. But like, wouldn't it be cool once you get all these suit reveals that you get a zoom out of even if it's concept art of all four of them assembled in some fashion? Man, it'll be amazing. It'll be amazing. And I know The Rock teased a big announcement for tomorrow, mm-hmm. so we could get our first peek at Black Adam and Zachary Levi. Um, was posing with the gentleman that's playing uh Hawkman there. So we'll we'll see what happens, man. We'll see what happens. It is. There you go. WV, like I said, they're they're controlling their narrative on all of this and it's looking great. I I honestly the flash is quickly rocketing up my most anticipated list for the the slate of DC films that is on tap for the next couple of years. Yeah, the inclusion of Keaton, it's like anybody be like, yeah, of course you're super excited for that. Mm. But like, <laughs> just, yeah, it seems like they're doing something really cool and really unique and they have a bold vision for it. And, you know, like we come out of theatrical Justice League and The Flash is nobody's favorite character. And here we are, like the whole crew is getting excited mm-hmm. for that Flash movie. And then, like, man, I really like the cast that, Dwayne Johnson is assembled around him. Like I'm as excited to see what they do with Aldous Hodge as Hawkman as I am to see what they're doing with Black Adam. And it's to the point where it's like there there was a time, admittedly, where it's like, I want to see this movie because I love The Rock yeah. and I want to see Henry Cavill's Superman show up. Now it's like, I want to see all these things. I want to see Cyclone. I want to see what you're doing with Adam Smasher. So yeah, they're doing something right, like you said, to kind of stoke those fires just the right way. Mm-hmm. Keep you talking about it. Keep it coming up in the room every single week. That's how you know you've got the heat. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right, man. It's Jurassic June, and we're going to continue our deep dive into the Jurassic series for the rest of the episode. We talked last week about Jurassic Park, and, of course, you can hear my my absolute love and joy. You can hear Carlos's love and joy for that franchise And this week, we're going to pick up with the Jurassic World franchise and take a step towards a franchise that has found a new footing, a new way to explore that ever-so-popular IP, and a new way to evolve it in multiple different facets, whether it's TV, film, or games. So before we look back at the Jurassic World, back at 2015 and our thoughts and feelings of this, there's some interesting stuff that's come out in the last couple of days in and around the what will be the the year to go, the year anniversary until we see Jurassic World Dominion. And they took that opportunity to start to promote things that are coming out at the end of this year and, of course, tease what is the next step for the Jurassic World franchise. And one of those things was in Jurassic Gaming. Now, we're going to infringe a little bit here on the Nerd Room Arcade, just ever so a little bit. Just Troy's not here, and we know there's some Marvel stuff, but of course we can't get into that right here, right now. But we're going to talk about, because we're talking about Jurassic, a new game that's coming out, Jurassic World Evolution 2. Jeff Goldblum, Ian Malcolm, who is returning for Jurassic World Domain, introduced this new game, which took me by surprise. Not that I'm really in tune or plugged into the gaming universe, but this Jurassic stuff's got me intrigued, again, because I spent a lot of time playing I believe it's on the Xbox. I can't even remember what it's called, but Jurassic Park Tycoon, we'll call it, where you can build out your your Jurassic Park and you can put your dinosaurs wherever. But it seems that they've they've really evolved, if I can steal that from the title, this concept with Jurassic World Evolution, I believe, dropping in 2018. And we've got this new one that's dropping at the end 
of 2021 in Jurassic World Evolution 2. Now, Carlos, I know you have some experience and some love with this game. So tell me your thoughts on this coming from someone that, that has had some experience here and maybe has some anticipation for what's coming next. Yeah, like that first Jurassic World Evolution, like I got to tell you, it, it was that love and it was that license that got me because I don't play the kind of Sim Earth, Sim City type games and the park builder games. But those first trailers for that first Jurassic World Evolution game, they just got me. And like the Rex roar and I was like, ah, so I go from being a guy that never plays those type of games to having this stupid thing on (laughs) pre-order and then like started playing it. And it took me a day or two to figure out the mechanics and how you're supposed to go about playing it. But I just fell in love with these dinosaurs. Like it's all about kind of finding different genomes and creating your dinosaurs and then releasing them out into your park. And like, you just fall in love with these creatures as they're coming out of your engine creation lab type of thing and walking into the environments that you're building them. But like my wife and girls went on a vacation and man, I played that game (laughs) an obscene amount. Like there was dozens of hours plugged into that game and about, six bottles of bourbon in my recycling after (laughs) over that two week period. Cause God, I can't even tell you how much I ended up playing that thing. But uh, this game came out of nowhere for me. I had no idea that they had a second one on the horizon because they had been supporting the the first one with downloadable content uh, to a fair deal of success. And they were able to push it out a bit, but uh I'll let you go through the trailer and whatnot, but yeah, it's a pleasant surprise and I've got to carve myself out some time here somewhere. Yeah. I like, I love the concept of it and pushing the boundaries on this as to what this IP can be and, and evolving that concept. Like you look through the trailer, it's got some beautiful shots of dinosaurs and it looks like it's picking up after fallen kingdom, which will be interesting. I don't know how exactly they're going to be, if what you're building on, if you're building on the old Island or if it, does extend into the real world and the visuals are absolutely gorgeous like come on you, you can't you can't tell me that that doesn't intrigue you just from the visual oh man they sold me the first game on ps4 with that like <laughs> i'm i'm kind of stepping up my uh <laughs> the amount of effort i'm putting into hunting for a ps5 kind of thing because this game is coming out and it's going to be gorgeous so of course i want to play it on the best console that i can mm-hmm. and uh yeah, I like the first game. What they did is they played with the Cinco Mertes. And so you started on the smallest island and you built your way all the way up okay. to being on Isla Nublar. So this one, you're definitely not in Costa Rica anymore. And there's like in the background, you see some snow capped mountains and whatnot. So who knows? You could be in our backyard for. There might be a dino in my backyard, which I'd be cool with. I'm okay with. Yeah. So, well, yeah, we'll see what happens. And I'll be curious to see how they roll the game out without having spoilers for the movie. Mm-hmm. This was likely meant to come out after the movie, right? After yes. Dominion, because Dominion has been delayed a year out. So this is coming out at the end of this year. So you are correct in that there, there may be a few spoilers in there. Hopefully we've seen a couple of trailers prior to that game coming out. Might have to stay away from it because Dominion is going to be something special because it is picking up from, the end of fallen kingdom which we're going to talk about here in a few minutes about what that movie does and how that bridges a gap between two worlds 
But Colin Trevorrow, who is returning to the director's chair, has been with this franchise since the relaunch of Jurassic World 2015, gave us some insight into what we're going to see with Jurassic World and also teased a way to see what turns out to be the prologue to what they're calling the Jurassic series, actually. So he released two images, one being a feathered dinosaur, which is pretty cool, and another being a poster with a mosquito on it, which sits on the skin of potentially a T-Rex. And it tells us that we get to experience a special extended preview of Jurassic World Dominion with Fast 9 only in IMAX. You got to go to the IMAX screen of Fast 9 to see what is a couple minute prologue, which my understanding is now spoilers here, guys. I'm not going to go into details. It is something that takes place both 65 million years ago and in present day. So that is where the prologue to the entire series comes from. But interesting way to try to entice me into the theaters well before I'm comfortable going back to the theaters. I said to my wife, is it wrong of me to want to go buy a Fast 9 ticket to go stand in the foyer or in the the aisle area, watch the prologue, and then take off? (laughs) Because I don't have any desire to see Fast 9, if I'm being completely honest with you. That is a Netflix. That is a $5 rental for me. I will watch it eventually. But seeing this prologue, it potentially may be debuting either leaked or by Universal if it's leaked too many times on YouTube or something to that effect. Maybe I'll wait that out. But are you going to see Fast 9 to see this prologue? And and what do you think of Colin Trevorrow's teases here on what is the, the year anniversary of what will be next year's release in 2022? F no. <laughs> I, <laughs> well done. I, well done, sir. <laughs> I, I don't know that I can spend good money on a bad movie. Um, and I can say that because Troy's not on the stream with us tonight. But uh, yeah, I... Man, I want to see this prologue so, so bad. And I would love to see it on the big screen. But, man, like, I'd be hard-pressed to spend money to go see a fast movie anyways. Yep. <laughs> and then to, to see one that has this pretty negative buzz about it. Uh, that's a that's a tough sell. That's a tough sell. So, hopefully it gets a proper release online. Uh, you know, it's going to be pirated and put all over the place but it'll be cell phone footage type of thing so i'd like to see this proper i'm intrigued by it i hope that it's something that we see the only thing that maybe tip me over is if they confirm that this is the only way that you get to see it is on fast nine and it's not going to be part of the movie but my understanding is that it's part of the movie so it's like they've done before it's like the probably the first five minutes of the movie Mm -hmm. is what you see and i don't know if you get a glimpse of of Grant or Malcolm or Sattler or anyone like that, any of the legacy cast or any of the returning cast from the Jurassic World series. But it's going to be hard for me to stay away, but fingers crossed that it gets after a couple of days in theaters and it, and it runs its course even after the first weekend. This might be trying to, as you said, <laughs> something that's got relatively negative reviews. This might be a way of trying to entice people to go sit oh. in the theater and pay for this movie. It's a hundred percent how I view this. Like <laughs> they they had no inclination to do this until the horrible reviews for Fast Nine started coming out, and it had its big drops in China. Mm-hmm. So I think that this has more to do with propping up Fast Nine than it does to do with promoting Jurassic World Three. If I'm 
perfectly honest. That's just the sense I get, but I'm right there with you, man. That's that's my feeling as well. These are Universal's two billion dollar franchises. You shouldn't need your other billion dollar franchise to pop prop up your other billion dollar franchise. So yeah, I think I think the the tale is in this this release here that they're worried about the domestic release of Fast Nine, and if it didn't do well in the Chinese market. I don't think it's going to land super well here. No, no. And, and like, I don't know. I, I appreciate those movies for what they are, but like, I'd be hard pressed to ever throw any of them on. Like, no, they, I haven't even watched Hobbs and Shaw and I'm a big supporter of the rock, but I just, I don't, something about that franchise just doesn't, just doesn't do it for me. I've watched rampage. I've watched all, everything else, him jumping off that building to that other building. Watch it all. But <laughs> that one, I don't know. There's something about this franchise that, to me, they jumped the shark at, like, six. And yeah, I'm yeah. just not interested in the franchise whatsoever. I'll, this is the only way that I would even think about paying any real money for a movie like this, for a Fast and Furious movie. Well, yeah, the funny the conversation with my wife and I was like, ah. The Rock's not in this one, so now we have zero reasons <laughs> to even think about paying money to watch this one. Well, it's going to be... I don't know if The Rock will comment on it, but it'll be interesting to see if this takes a nosedive or if it's outperformed by Hobbs and Shaw, which yeah, likely Yeah, I'll will. be curious. Yeah, I'll be I'll be really curious to see what happens with it. It, it certainly has its fans, and that's not... If you love yeah. the Fast hey. movies, by all means, like Each that's your own. thing, like... Yeah, but uh, yeah, it just uh, just doesn't get me excited. Not at all. But I tell you something that did get me excited. It was when they finally got back to the Jurassic series in 2015. Jurassic World. We're gonna take a look back here at what was the real catalyst, what nucleated the revival of this franchise to the point where we're already looking at what is our third entry into this new Jurassic World franchise. Stepping back into our discussion from last week, 2001, we see the release of Jurassic Park 3. It is arguably the weakest of the bunch. We, I think, both still find some entertainment value inside of it, and it's part of of a great series. But this IP then gets shelved for 14 years. A billion-dollar franchise on the shelf for 14 years after the initial trilogy. It spent a ton of time in development purgatory, I believe with multiple iterations of scripts coming through Spielberg's doors, nothing ever landing. If you remember hearing about some sort of hybrid of dinosaur yeah. human, there's concept art out there, I believe at one point, which is ridiculous. Yeah. You should, if you haven't seen it, go look it up because, well, you could either look it up or you could watch the amazing Spider-Man and check out the lizard yeah. because it, it's kind of the same thing. Yes, yes. And so I'm really happy that they didn't burn all their powder doing that movie because that comes out, this IP dies. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Kirk Connors hits the screen with the JP logo and it, Batman and Robin's that thing for sure. Yes, yes. And we, and we don't move past it. So luckily enough, there was enough foresight and there was enough attention paid 
to this IP, to this franchise by Spielberg and Universal, that they waited out a better script. And that took all the way to 2013, 2014, with Colin Trevorrow coming on to the scene here, them crafting out a new film that had a new cast of characters, a new spin on the title, a similar logo, a similar feel, and similar music, and revisiting the park, an open park, which was such an interesting concept to me, is... We talked about last week about what do you do inside of that franchise? What is the next steps? And they were taking those inside of the space that they're familiar with. But this, they take a big step back and say, what does the audience and what's an intriguing story to tell? Let's open the park. And that was their big tagline. The park is open. And I thought that was such a brilliant stroke of weaving in the legacy of the original trilogy into a forward-looking and a brand new story that we actually get to see the park. We never got to see the park with people in it, really. And it was such a cool way to step into that. So from the first trailer, that is kind of the idea, the concept that we get. 2015 was a crazy year. It was a year with The Force Awakens. It was a year with Age of Ultron. And it was a year with Jurassic World. Three huge franchises making big waves at the box office. And for me, Jurassic World was at the bottom of those three. But what what was your anticipation level, knowing what we knew going into 2015, having seen a trailer in late 14, we had this huge 2015 in front of us with some major movies, especially the return of two huge franchises in the Jurassic and Star Wars. Did this find or was this on your radar in the same way that some of these other films were? Or did this kind of tumble a little bit in the same fashion it did for me? Uh, It was like it, it was certainly below the white hot superhero IP at that time. Right. So BVS is coming out and I'm jazzed for that. And then age of Ultron I loved mm-hmm. and I, all the movies coming out in and around that time and Marvel was doing like some of their most exciting stuff. So it certainly fell below that. But the thing that really stoked the fires of my anticipation and had it higher than star Wars and that was that my, my youngest, like I said, like, the Jurassic movies were literally like her diaper bag Mm -hmm. movies. She fell into the series by way of my drinking and bad parenting and (laughs) loved, like loves, loves, loves that series. And so I was really hyped to be able to see uh, a Jurassic movie for the first time with her and kind of have that anticipation go into a movie that we've never seen before. And, you know, we had done the the first movie. They did the IMAX re-release with the 3D scenes yep. and stuff like oh, that. So, so good, we, man. yeah, so we went to go see that, and I I was hyped, but like mostly, like I could have just sat there and watched her the whole time. Like that was totally my focus. Was I was super stoked to see her uh, experience a Jurassic movie for the first time, and then also like she's a big Guardians of the Galaxy honk. So having mm-hmm. Star Lord as your lead, it was like it was made for her kind of thing. So that that's why my anticipation was higher, but I appreciate that it was totally a personal circumstance type of thing. Yeah, for sure. And like me, like I'm the Jurassic guy and I found my, my fandom a bit more in the last couple of years, but this movie still captured me in a way that was kind of unexpected, even though all age of Ultron and star Wars were, that was front and center for me. It was front and center for a lot of people. This film still became, for a moment in time, it became the highest grossing weekend ever, eclipsing the the mark that Avengers had set in a couple years previous. 
It was then eclipsed by The Force Awakens, of course, later in that year, but also became the second highest grossing movie of 2015, grossing over $650 million domestically, doing $1.6 billion globally, and launching this universe, this IP, into the stratosphere again. It captured the attention of literally everyone, and it (laughs) caught a lot of people off guard of how well it did and how well it performed at the box office, especially when you're putting it shoulder to shoulder with some of the titans of 2015. So what is it that worked for Jurassic? What does it work for the revisiting into the world aspect of it? Was it the fact that it was familiar? Was it the fact that they chose to take the IP in a new direction with a new cast and didn't do the Star Wars thing where they brought back the old cast and quickly integrated them back into this relaunch of the franchise was that it was more accessible to a younger generation, especially the first half of the movie. What was it that made this movie so big and so engaging for a completely new generation of, of audience members? Well, I think the first little piece was cynicism because I only watched the first trailer because I didn't want to be spoiled too much by it. And I was like, you kind of go in with that mindset that, oh, they're going to show all the dinosaur parts in the trailer. Mm. Want to save something for the theater. But I don't think anybody thought that they would knock it out of the park like mm-hmm. they did. So people were a bit skeptical going in. And then you sit down and you have this really well done movie that plays the right amount of the nostalgia chords, yep. but forges everything in a new direction. And I remember sitting there and it was almost like I was on that train where they get off the boat and they're heading into the park. And I was just like, holy smokes, like they actually have this thriving, Mm -hmm. vibrant, functioning park. And this is the coolest thing. And just seeing those kind of parallels, the theme parks and how they've implemented them, quote unquote, in the Jurassic setting and um, just what the mindset is and like things like the petting zoo and the gyrosphere valley like blew me away and i the mosasaur the like the sea world-esque type thing that they did yeah it was so cool yeah like that stuff was it was so well thought out and even the the verisimilitude that they had to their world with things like the indominus is created because people's interest is so mm-hmm. fleeting and dinosaurs just aren't cool enough for this generation of people. And it, it's a bit of a meta thing too. Hyper aware. Where, yeah. Yeah. Like maybe our nineties franchise isn't going to be able to lure audiences in like the MCU movies is right now. But uh, yeah, I, I think that that really worked. And then I remember there being a lot of naysaying about like the, cause the first trailer ended with, uh, Chris Pratt on the motorcycle with the Raptors, yeah. right? Yeah. A- and man, there was people poo-pooing that thing all over the internet. But I think people were also like fascinated as to how the heck are they having this dude ride a motorcycle with Raptors kind of thing? So yeah, I, I think they just had those right ingredients in place that uh, got people to sit down and watch the movie. But then when they did, Totally blew them away, like subverted all their expectations. Um, Just small things like we maybe didn't realize how much we love the big brown female T-Rex, but seeing her shine in all her glory all over the place, like, 
yeah, give it to me all day long. Yeah, she has her so, moment. Like, and I love the details that they put into that too. It's like the original T Rex, so the scars from the raptor fight at the end of Jurassic Park one. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's uh, you're so right about it hitting the right nostalgic chords. Like that is they had to do that, but they also had to make the franchise their own. Like you can compare it and contrast it to The Force Awakens, a movie that I love, but it leans really hard into the nostalgic and it makes you feel like you're in the theater watching a new hope again where mm-hmm. Jurassic world. Yes. You feel a little of the Jurassic park, but it also feels like something that's on its own. It's a continuation of the franchise where force awakens always felt like more of a soft reboot. If you want to call it that. Yeah. Like I think force awakens is incredibly well crafted mm. and I love the look of it. And I enjoy that movie quite a bit. Uh, but it is, there's no two ways about it. It is karaoke and you yeah. like it's the same movie just made in 2014 kind of thing, as opposed to 1977. So whereas with this one, they built it on the bones, like literally mm-hmm. in the case of some of the things they play with in the movie, they built it on the bones of the original, but it, it was fresh and it was new and it was just kind of this logical evolution of the franchise, yeah. I felt. So, sure. yeah, and again, yeah. not going full reboot where they go in and say, well, we're going to create a new park. We're going to do this. And the same thing happens. Like you said, I love the fact that we get this like Disney esque version or Universal Studios, if we want to stay inside the franchise version of Jurassic Park. Like you're walking through and you've got the narration, you've got the nods to kind of what the landscape of an actual park would be like, like having freshly gone to Disney world right before it, it was like, yeah, this is exactly what it would be. Mm-hmm. And then introducing this new cast, you got Bryce Dallas Howard, you've got Chris Pratt taking the leads in this. Like you said, star Lord, Chris Pratt is heating up in a major way here coming off of guardians of the galaxy the summer before we've got him in the, like a huge film here with Jurassic in it. And what I think is a believable role. He's not playing kind of the goofy guy in this. He's a bit more straight-laced. And he's also a nice bridge and a nice audience perception. And you guys know I always like having that character in there that is kind of pointing at things, being like, should we be doing this? Why is this happening? I don't understand this. I love that character in a film. I think it's ever so important to have kind of that audience version. In there. And he kind of plays that where he is is the kind of the in-between of the, the heavy genetics end of it and also – the military application, which mm-hmm. we talked about that being something that has found its way into this script, but in a much more grounded and logical way where they're taking the Raptors, which were heavily portrayed in the third iteration in Jurassic Park three as to being highly intelligent and kind of the evolution of that. They pick up those threads ever so lightly and put them into here and mix that up into something that gets you to that motorcycle scene with Chris Pratt's character and these three raptors yeah like it it felt kind of natural right like they i like that they replaced the paleontologist that was alan grant with a zoologist type mm-hmm. character and uh animal behavioral specialist and he kind of feels like if you had a an expert on a police canine unit it would be that chris pratt type of character yeah. right so to take the jump from you know a military dog handler type guy you could envision him in his previous life to being this raptor handler, taking that lucrative uh, private sector gig with uh, Masrani. Yeah, it, uh, I, I dug that. I dug that. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of this too is is about legacy. Like you, you bring up Maserani there, and his the whole idea was Hamid's legacy, and it's like Spielberg's mm-hmm. legacy. Like there's a lot of like like you mentioned also meta things about this film that they pick up on, and like the new dinosaurs. Like that was a big thing here. Is is what do you do next? We've seen the raptors, we've seen the spinosaurus, we've seen the the big T Rex. You can't rely on those. Like the mosasaurus is one thing, but you can't have you know it's not all underwater, right? And so them going to the next level, really leaning heavily into the the genetic side, bringing back, back Dr. Wu was, I think, amazing. It was a nice, like, that was the one legacy character that they carried over that he kind of got off the other side and was cashing in on all of his inventions here. And it brings us to a dinosaur that didn't exist, the Indominus Rex. At first, I, I thought, okay, this is stepping a bit on this not being real. But once you get into the film, I this to me is is the next logical step. It is the way that they would go to try to intrigue and get like the the guests, as she said, Bryce Dallas Howard's character says, like, let's get the the attendance up. What do we have to do? And this is it. This like they're speaking, I think, through so many facets as to what this franchise is and where it's going through the film. It's really well written. Yeah, they did a very good job making it natural as to the commercial why mm-hmm. they created the Indominus Rex and then also you kind of see the military side of it and the the devious side of the reasoning behind the Indominus Rex so yeah it worked well I was a bit skeptical at first too but uh, I thought it worked well mm. I thought it worked well and the, the dinosaur was cool and uh, just it's rampage to the park not so much the eating of people and stuff but how it went through its whole process of it wasn't properly nurtured. Yeah. And that's why it was asserting its dominance all over the park. And it was, I I thought they put a decent amount of thought into it, which led to a a super enjoyable film. Yeah, definitely. And then we have the battle at the end. Of course, we've got the Raptor T-Rex team up, which I was just like out of my seat cheering for. There's actually only one scene in this film that I don't like. And it's when I believe it's blue. They have this like weird camera angle on him. And he's like kind of running in at the lot, like a Stallone esque kind of, you know, Tom Cruise run into the screen to save the day. Oh yeah. With the slow-mo and yeah. the no, no score, just the bark. Yeah. It was almost like yeah. someone was going blue. blue. That is the only scene. It, it, it sticks out like a sore thumb. If you're watching for it at the end there, yeah. but it is cool to see. You know, going from Jurassic Park where you had these raptors and the T-Rex fight it out in the end and they're kind of teaming up here to take down this genetic freak in the Indominus Rex and you've got the female T-Rex standing tall. I I think it's a great way to cap off the franchise and also acknowledge the legacy that came before it. Or cap off this movie, I should say, not the franchise. Yeah, no, it it was great. It was a nice payoff to everything. And even you had that kind of... um visual mirror with the mosasaur coming at the mm-hmm. end for that final bite kind of channels yeah. that <laughs> totally t-rex at the end of the first movie yeah, it was good yeah Th- it was good thoroughly enjoyed this film i revisited a couple times recently throughout the pandemic and i have to say it it ages very well now it's only a couple of years old six years old or so but it, it does all the right things and it puts all the pieces into place to set up this franchise to carry on in and through multiple other films now, the question comes, and this is the same question that we asked last week, and 
The Lost World and Jurassic Park 3 is what do you do next? What is the next step evolution in this franchise? Because it becomes about escalation. They talked about it and we just talked about about bringing in an audience and having to do something different. How, how do you expand this franchise while staying true to its roots and not jumping the shark like some other franchises are doing currently? And that comes in the form of, of Jurassic World, the follow-up here, Fallen Kingdom. Now, this movie, I will say, when I first watched it, didn't love it. The scale of Jurassic World was so big, it felt like the first movie again. This one, the scale is fairly big at the start, but it gets very small and confined in the back half of the movie. Now, having revisited this in the last couple of weeks, I found a new love for Fallen Kingdom and a new appreciation for it. I do feel that it suffers for being a transition film for the franchise. Is They are moving away from the isolated park and they're going to something else, which I think we'll see in Dominion. This movie takes the burden of that transition and works you through the end of the isolated island park and moves you into the global embracing of the dinosaurs, the, the global welcoming of the dinosaurs, and really them spreading out across the planet. Now, Trevorrow doesn't direct this one. He has a hand-picked director, and he is supposed to be off doing a Star Wars movie. So he's still executive <laughs> producing, still contributing in a big way. But does Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, does it hit the mark for you the same way that World does? Because it did at the box office, did fairly well at the box office, not pulling in nearly as much as Jurassic World, but definitely a worthy successor in that way. But when it comes to the narrative, when it comes to story, when it comes to continuing on from where they left off in Jurassic World, does Fallen Kingdom do it for you? Uh, you know, it, like I think you nailed it on the on the head when you said that the back half of the movie becomes incredibly small, and part of it too was just the setting that they had it with that mansion and yeah. the dinosaurs allegedly in this basement. Mm -hmm. It just it, it was too tiny. Yeah. Like I think if you had that play out on some remote ranch somewhere, mm -hmm. um, and you, it just the first half of the movie you had that believability to it and it felt of a piece with the preceding movies and that you were back on that island and you get a lost uh, world feel to it a bit with the chasing of the dinosaurs exactly yeah and it's like yeah you you kind of get that feel back that yeah this is what it would be like if the dinosaurs had run a mark from this park like if if the zoo shut down one day and the doors flung open you come back after a few years it's kind of what things would look like you'd imagine right but um yeah, once they get to that mansion, it gets unbelievably small mm -hmm. and a, and a little silly. Like the the villains become a lot more mustache twirling. Hundred percent, yeah. By the time you have that auction, but uh, yeah, Jay Bayona directed it, and I gotta say, like some of the imagery is the most beautiful imagery that you mm -hmm. see in a Jurassic movie to date. Like. I love some of those opening scenes, like as the volcano's going off and the dinosaur stampede and the Carnotaur to the T-Rex yeah. uh, was cool. Uh, the baryonyx in the tunnels with the lava coming down was shot really well. And of course, like the Brachiosaur, yes. number one, like when they're in that main street of Jurassic World and it comes piling through and the 
one scientist she sees it for the first time and then of course like the death scene i'd argue that that's probably the second best shot in all of jurassic mm-hmm. park kind of thing, very right? well done in the, in the franchise and like there's people getting emotional in my theater opening night over a CG dinosaur yeah. or in this case, like a silhouetted CG dinosaur in the smoke kind of thing. But uh, yeah, it was, I'm hard pressed to say it wasn't well done, but it, it kind of, it gets crushed under the weight of being this pivot movie Yeah, 100%. where like, I'd love to see what Bayona would have done if he didn't have to get the dinosaurs off the island necessarily. Um, and I don't know that you had to actually have this movie to have that. Like, you could have had them just steal all the embryos and whatnot mm-hmm. and have them crafted off-site somewhere. But, um, yeah, and you, you, you could take cues from The Lost World where you basically have a boat full of dinosaurs, they get loose, the boat crashes, and they take off. And then mm-hmm. you deal with that a little bit. The, yeah, the villain aspect of it for this one, you get Arnim Zola in there, you've got this other guy, and then you've built out, because Richard Attenborough, who played John Hammond, had passed away by this point, so you bring in a very similar-looking character. I can't remember the actor's name, great actor, but you, you build up a an untold story between the two of them, that they had this falling out, Hammond took Injun and he went off on his own path. So it's interesting and where the genetics come in, the cloning and the daughter and all this, that they lean a lot heavier into that aspect of it. And there, a lot of it comes to the morality and the ethics of cloning and should we be mm-hmm. doing this? And so I like them playing with that because that, that put that's, that's, that's out there, right? You look at that sheep Dolly, I think it was called however many years ago that was 20 years ago that was cloned and you're talking about like the ethics of cloning humans and what does that do and what does that mean and i i think it's an interesting thing to play with it was it was a little bit fumbled i think in this but ultimately when you get to the scale of it like you said the first part is great this it is almost as playing like a a, a horror film if you will inside of an old abandoned house yeah, with the Indoraptor and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it has its moments. It, yeah, and I, I kind of like to pick up a thread that you put down with the James Cromwell character. Mm-hmm. Thank you. It felt awkward that we didn't have any hints to that history before the fifth movie. Yeah, and that there was this aspect of um, human cloning research that drove what Hammond was doing with Jurassic Park the whole time Mm -hmm. kind of thing being in the background. And this guy obviously has an affinity for what happened uh, or where John Hammond took their research, but they, because they have him in that kind of infirmed state and the, the villainous lawyer character in the background, trying to subvert what he's doing. And then the, the clone daughter slash granddaughter, it got a bit messy. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I think you should almost should have just leaned more into Claire's group with the save the dinosaur type folks. And yeah. And even having like some juxtaposition about like, like I was saying, because I like the thread of the ethics of cloning and what it means where Mm -hmm. like with the daughter and all that, it, it kind of, it took away, took you out of the movie. Like the movie's about the dinosaurs and the dinosaur cloning. And I get the genetics thing and where you want to go with all that, but it doesn't, add a whole bunch to the movie like you can add that piece in somewhere else at least if you want to have that discussion that debate inside that commentary around 
cloning in there without doing that piece. Yeah, it's like it's kind of a one or the other, right? Like you're barreling full bore with this dinosaur story and where it's going and the military applications and this auction mm-hmm. and the every every the, villain ever from every James Bond film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Every Bidding continent is dinosaurs. covered here. We've got you all. Like Yeah, it was just it was just it it kind of had a weird tone for that back half of it, mm-hmm. but I I don't know that it's all Bayona's fault. But um yeah, I there's with anything Jurassic, it's like yeah, dinosaurs. Yeah, you can enjoy it. Well, and it's like I think it it ends in in a very appropriate way where the button is pushed and these dinosaurs are set free. Like this is where the movie was getting to. We literally blew up the island so that we can't go back. Like there's no returning mm-hmm. to Isla Nublar. That's gone. There is a path forward to the dinosaurs and humans trying to find a way to coexist. And we get a little short that Trevorrow put together, the Battle of Little Rock. I don't know if you remember that in a couple of years ago. Yeah, the camping one, Yeah, right? the camping one where yeah. they, they're starting to show about this integration of human and dinosaur life and the coexisting of these two species who were never meant to coexist, which was really cool. And then, of course, the, the leap into what is going to be Jurassic World Dominion here next year. And that, I think the exciting piece of of the transition from Jurassic World through Fallen Kingdom into Dominion is we're going into a new territory with this film, with Jurassic World Dominion. This is something we've never seen before. Whether we're going to take a leap a couple years in the future, I'm hoping, so it's not kind of this initial state. It's like we're a society. We now live with dinosaurs, and this is the, the fallout from it. I, that's where I hope Dominion goes because we've got a lot of the returning cat or a lot of the original cast returning, and there's there's a lot to build off here. There's a lot of new story that you can tell in Dominion because of what Fallen Kingdom and Jurassic World do. Yeah, no, definitely, uh, it, and and you know it's like those little big nests that they did at the end of Fallen Kingdom, and then I think the Battle for Little Rock had a few too with like the the dove getting eaten by the Tranodon mm-hmm. at the wedding. That was that, right? Yeah. The, the, the battle for Little Rock stuff. Like that stuff got me excited and it retroactively sells the back half of fallen kingdom. Yeah. Because you kind of let it go. Or at least for me, it's like, yeah, sure. It, it is what it is, mm-hmm. but they needed to do that to get me here because I, I really dig what's happening over here with just dinosaurs all over the place. Like, if I can see some cyclists get taken down by a group of velociraptors, <laughs> I'm cool, man. You'll get my 15 bucks twice. Yeah. I'll, I'll pay just to see that scene again. Well, yeah, I'm there for that too. <laughs> and you're right. Like we had to get here one way or another. And I'm happy that if you had to narratively sacrifice some elements of a movie to get us to a point where we get dominion, where we start from the point we're hopefully going to start from where the dinosaurs are out there. That is a cooler starting point than trying to squeeze in that transition in the front end of dominion where it's like, we're we're getting all our dinosaurs. We got to spend 30, 40 minutes getting our dinosaurs to, to, the the mainland to us to mexico to wherever they're gonna end up and then we'll run with it it's like no we're starting from from go which is cool yeah because you got to think if you didn't do this then you'd have to set up 
whoever that rival corporation mm-hmm. was who was trying to steal the dinosaur technology and the genetic codes and all that kind of stuff. And so you'd have to set up who they are and then what they were able to develop and then their creatures getting kicked out into the wild. And then you'd have to set up what's happening with the in-gen ones. And so, yeah, it, it's one of those where... Yeah, Fallen Kingdom might have walked a little bit so that Dominion can run. And I think that's it. And I think we have to remember, too, the the nature of storytelling right now isn't about an isolated film. It's always nice to go into a film and see a beginning, middle, and end. But the way the MCU's brought us up, the way that we're seeing a lot of stories now play out in multiple mediums, it's about a continuing story. And I think if you look at Fallen Kingdom as a piece of a a larger story, I think it's going to fit pretty well. I think... Well, the the some of the detractions that we talked about of it, I think, will exist. But if it exists as a whole, I think that you'll be able to look past a lot of of maybe some of the small issues that that we have with with Fallen Kingdom. And you know, it, it may end up being the weaker of the the world franchise, but at the end of the day, I think it's going to look really cool when you set all three of these movies up and and projects as well into the future with Dominion. So there's there's a lot of really cool stuff going on in the Jurassic space. We've also got Camp Cretaceous which is taking the franchise itself in a new direction, bringing down the accessibility of it to a much younger generation. Um, some of us, I, I unfortunately haven't introduced my, my daughter yet to, to Jurassic. I got to take some notes maybe out of your book. <laughs> well, no, mine was, mine was reckless. <laughs> <laughs> but Camp Cretaceous yeah. is doing, and we've, we've talked about this in the last few weeks, Camp Cretaceous is doing really cool things and progressing a story that's sitting in between Jurassic World and and Fallen Kingdom and I know that you guys are loving that too. Yeah, have you finished it yet? No, I have not. Yeah, we we're still a couple episodes shy. So yeah, it's uh, you'll see where they take it, and it's pretty cool to see where they're running this little mini Camp Cretaceous franchise, um, in light of where the larger kind of film franchise is going. Yeah, man. Like everything they're doing in this space, I'm absolutely loving. Of course, I am a, a huge Jurassic fan, but given what we're seeing in audience engagement, the box office, everything, everyone seems to be really digging Jurassic World. And I'm so happy that we got to revisit this franchise, both in last week's episode with Jurassic Park and this week's episode with a bit more forward looking and, and getting back to Jurassic World and talking through this, man. It's been a ton of fun doing more of this Jurassic June stuff. I know this was a bit of a pivot late in the hour before there's a bit of a pivot late in the day before we got to this episode. We we're planning on doing this in the next few weeks, but it seemed fitting given we got Colin Trevorrow's tease. We've got you and I talking gushing about more Jurassic, man. I I've absolutely love these conversations. Uh, it made sense. We had to uh, we had to take the next step, right? Yeah. The look at the past. We got to look at the future, and if we didn't do it this week, we would have done it next week. Yeah. I'm sure. So of course, yeah. So guys, thank you so much for joining us. At some point in time, the crew will be back at the table. Myself and Carlos are always going to be here. I think in some capacity, but the other guys will be here. We got some great topics that we're going to be covering in the next few weeks. We've also got Black Widow, July 9th. It's going to be a big MCU movie review. So we're going to have that. We're going to chuck that around the table. We're going to be doing, I think, a bit of a split between the theatrical and the at-home. I'll definitely be doing it the at-home for this one. We've got a lot of this DC content coming at us. We've got a lot of Star Wars stuff. We're starting to see, you know, potentially some images from Andor, from the Obi-Wan series. 
So there's a lot happening in the nerd space, and there's a lot going on in the beyond space as well, which we fully embrace this year, and I, I can't be more happy about that. <laughs> That's right. And just watch our Instagram, because there was a, another piece to my This Week in Nerd, and uh, I made good on one of, in part, on one of my nerdier resolutions. So in time for this episode to drop, or maybe I'll drop it after the episode, um, yeah, watch our Instagram space and we can we can maybe discuss some of the uh, some of the things I unearthed, like Dr. Grant. Let me tell you, man, this is uh, this is epic. This is gonna blow up our Instagram feed because the stuff that I've seen blew my brain apart. Blew my <laughs> brain apart. So we'll tease that up there. We'll throw that up there, and maybe he'll detail a little bit next week and this weekend, nerd. But. For all this, man, we got to wrap this one up. We got to put a button on the Jurassic franchise for now. And you know you're going to be seeing a lot more of this as we likely get a trailer this year and as I continue to embrace my past and it being my present as well. But if you'd like to be a bigger part of this show, contribute to the conversation anyway, whether Star Wars, Marvel, DC, or beyond, you can always email us at thenerdroom at gmail.com. You can find everything we do over at thenerdroom.net. As Carlos mentioned, the hunt is real. And it's going to get even more real this week on Instagram. So go check out what Carlos is throwing up there at the nerd RM and Twitter. That is where we hang out. That is where we provide our commentary on all this amazing stuff that we discuss each and every week. Our handles are at the end of the episode. So with all that being said, with another journey to the park, with another journey into the beyond for the nerd room, I'm Tim. And I'm Batman. And guys, thank you so much for returning to the park with us. And thank you so much for entering the nerd room. This has been a nerd room podcast production. You can find our hosts, Tim, Troy, Sanjay, and Carlos on Twitter at the nerd RM, Troy, the boy 87, Sanjabi and CDN caped crusade R for more content from the nerd room. Check out the nerdroom.net. And don't forget to subscribe to the nerd room on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, wherever you plug in. Use the hashtag. We, the nerd to keep up with the latest from the nerd room on Instagram and Twitter.